It's great to see you guys all here as well. well I have a little bit of feedback coming through, so um, maybe someone can turn a dial for me and cut that down. I have just a touch of feedback coming through. Thank you. Awesome. The last thing I want to hear is myself talking, so especially while I'm talking. Rob, stop over-talking yourself. It's rude. All right, I'm going to read. We're going to jump around in the book of Galatians a little bit this morning. Um, so you can be turning there as you have your Bibles. I want to encourage you to bring a Bible. It's always good to just have a physical Word of God in your hand. Many people love their phones for these things, and God bless you in it. You're welcome to do that. But we're going to be in the book of Galatians, Galatians 2, Galatians 5, and Galatians 6 today. So you can be ready to, to bear with me in that. One thing I am grateful for, for our government, is that they've given me this wonderful sermon illustration um, between the government rules for how we can be in here and uh, this green painter's tape. Um, we're going to try something out. All right. So I don't know if you knew this, but we've got the room kind of broken up into two sides. There's the right side of the room and the left side of the room. It's opposite for me, but I'm trying to remember this. And what I, I just, I don't know if you knew this, but I want to tell you that most of your problems in life are actually caused by people on the other side of the room. So we've got the leftists over here, and we've got the right, people on the right, the righteous over here. Right? Maybe the self-righteous, depending on how you want to see it. Won't even talk about the people in the back. You're not even important enough to have a name back there. But uh, just so you know, most of your problems in life are those people's fault. If you think about it, you'll, you'll find out that it's true. And just so you know, most of the problems in your life are these people's fault. Well, think about it. Why don't you think about it for a bit? Don't look, because they're looking too, and that would be awkward. But just do a quick glance and catch a few faces. I bet you'll find a way that you can draw a line from your problems to these people on the other side. Awkward yet? Well, you're kind of new here, so you, you can do this. But give us time. We will give you a reason to believe what I'm saying. Welcome to life on earth. All it takes is some green tape. And I can get you guys hating each other. Welcome to the human experience. Made up sickness. Just kidding. Just doing another, just press, poking the bear there. I don't think it's completely made up. And some green tape. And somebody, somebody can feel put out. Someone can feel divided. Someone can feel angry. Someone can, can get offended. And we're broke. We're looking at a church in Galatia that 
the Apostle Paul was attempting to put out a fire. And the fire was this. Paul had gone there and he preached the gospel of free grace through faith in Jesus Christ. That through trusting in the Messiah of God, you get to be made right with God himself. You get to be forgiven of all your sins and adopted into his family and united with everybody else who believes in Jesus. And miracle of miracles, these Gentiles, along with some Jews who lived in this province, which is like Turkey nowadays or something like that, they believed and they became a church. But sometime after Paul went away, some people came along and said, actually, if you're really going to be right with God, you need to also be circumcised. Faith in Jesus alone isn't enough. You also need to be circumcised. And they could go and look in the Old Testament and say, look at the life of Abraham. When Abraham believed, God told him he needed to be circumcised and all his descendants needed to be circumcised. And if any Jews didn't get circumcised, they were essentially saying, I'm not part of the people of God. So they weren't all the way in. And so if you really want to be a true Christian, you need to get circumcised. And it started to divide the church. And so essentially this letter is this passionate, painful, desperate, Jesus-soaked attempt to save the church from splitting over circumcision. Um, Circumcision, if you haven't heard that word recently, it's a surgical procedure whereupon the foreskin of a penis is removed. There, I said it. Okay, there's, there's all kinds of things that you're allowed to talk about in public in different cultures, but penises are not one of them that you typically are allowed to talk about in church. Unfortunately, surgical procedures done on the foreskin of penises is talked about a lot in Scripture. So I'm going there, because we're getting out of this. Just, it, it, it talked about in the Bible, we have to be okay with this, and this is super awkward for me, and it's on the internet. And so... No memes. I'm talking to you, Peter's family. No memes. Okay? But that's what they're talking about. And so the idea would be that all the men in this church need to have this really painful um, surgery in order to measure up to be true Christians again, in order to be real believers again. That's kind of the heart. This is, it was funny, years ago I was in Rwanda and I was talking about this passage to a bunch of people. And, of course, I was getting translated because I don't know Kinyarwanda and not a lot of them knew English. And so I was talking about how if in this church, if all of a sudden they believed this false theology that you needed to be circumcised in order to be a real Christian, then, of course, it would have to lead to all of these conversations where people would be having to ask themselves, well, are you circumcised? Well, I'm circumcised. Are you circumcised? So everyone's going to have to be asking people all the time. And as I was explaining this, I was talking around, I was saying, are you circumcised? Are you circumcised? And I turned to the translator and I said, are you circumcised? And instead of him saying, in Kinyarwanda, are you circumcised? He said, no. <laughs> Awkward. So I just turned and looked away for five seconds to compose myself and carried on like nothing had happened. But that's, that's what they were risking, that the name of Jesus would become nothing next to the question, are you circumcised? So here... The Apostle Paul is writing to this church. And he wants to tell them a story. I'm going to read a slightly longer portion of scripture here. And he's going to tell them the story about the time he had to rebuke Peter. If you know your New Testament history, Peter was the 
the first among equals, the chief of the twelve, the leader of the apostles of Jesus Christ, and became kind of the head of the Jewish church after Jesus went to heaven. And he was the guy that the Holy Spirit gave this vision to about eating unclean animals as a way of trying to tell Peter that now, through faith in Jesus, all men become clean in God's sight. They don't need to do the food laws. They don't need to become Jews to be acceptable to God. Through faith in Jesus, people become clean. And those barriers between Jews and Gentiles that had been there for generations and centuries were coming down through faith in Jesus and through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. But there was a time when Peter forgot this because of essentially peer pressure from other Jews to pull back from the Gentiles in table fellowship, in eating together. And eating together is important to us, but it meant way more to people back in the first century. Eating together essentially said, these are my friends and allies. And if you wouldn't eat with somebody, you're saying, we're not family. I don't trust you. We're not together. And so Paul says this. He says, but when Peter came from Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, James being uh, an apostle in Jerusalem, he was eating with the Gentiles. So they were declaring oneness in Christ through eating. When they came, he drew back and separated from the party. So these people circumcised to be a Christian. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray. So their unbelief was infectious. So that even Barnabas, who's one of the chiefs in the church, who brought Paul into the faith and actually said to the church, hey, he used to kill us, but now he doesn't. I'm, I'm taking him under my wing. He's saying even my mentor was led astray by this pressure to pull back from the Gentiles over circumcision. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? If we ourselves, who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law. They're not made right with God by doing the Old Testament law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we have believed in Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. He says, but if we, in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, are found to be sinners or to be with sinners, is Christ a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. Now this is where I want to underline, underline, underline. For through the law I died to the law that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. I want to say this morning that after having given it some thought, I'm becoming convinced that the main problem with the world today is, is that there aren't enough dead Christians. The main problem with the world, especially in the West today, is there aren't enough dead Christians. You're still all sitting there like good Canadians. Well done. I'll say it one more time. The main problem in the world today is that there aren't enough dead 
Christians. Because as I read how Paul is thinking here, he sees this church in Antioch that was getting torn apart by the circumcision issue. And he sees this church in Galatia that he planted and he loved these people getting torn apart by the green tape of the circumcision issue. And he says to them, this is the way forward. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That's the way forward. That's the way forward through church problems. You die. That's the way forward in social problems. You die. You die so that Jesus can live in you. You die. You have to be crucified. We have to be crucified. In our families, we have to be crucified. Online, we have to be crucified. Everywhere we go, we have to be dead. That's, that's Paul's solution. You wonder why people think the Bible is, is junk? Because it says stuff like this. The Gentiles and the Jews are not getting along. Why don't we all just die? No, no, dying is the last thing we want, right? We, we want to live. That's why we, we fight over stuff. Because the leftists have the best side of the church, Right? This is the side with the best bathrooms and it's got all the best parking and it's closest to the... Well, they've got closest to the kitchen. But there's nothing left in the kitchen. I ate all the good food in the kitchen a long time ago. And you've got something that someone else could want here on the left, don't you? And the right people need it or want it. Or at least they don't even want it, but they don't want anyone else to have it. And we, we are in the world... Wanting things like we're alive still. Even though the reality is that we're dead in Christ. Supposed to be. Supposably. It's not a word. Amen? Amen. How many dead husbands and wives fight? I have never been dead and fighting with my wife at the same time. It takes a lot of life to get as dumb and angry as I get sometimes. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. No, you didn't come to hear this. But I, I, I think I'm on to something here. And I could be wrong. Let's keep going. Paul goes a few chapters trying to convince people that it's by faith and they shouldn't look to any works as the thing that makes you right with God because all it does is lead to pride and division. And I want to take us to the passage talking about the fruit of the Spirit. Anybody here want the fruit of the Spirit? Yeah? Do you know how to get it? You just have to die. What? No, that sounds painful. Listen for the death part as I read the passage. It's not even going to be hard for you to hear it. But just listen for the death part, okay? But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The flesh in context here doesn't mean skin. It means that 
that life we lived before we were one with Christ, before the Spirit came. And so the contrast is the world living in the flesh or the new kingdom of God come by the power of the Spirit. That's the two kingdoms battling, the world that is the flesh and the kingdom of God, which is a kingdom of the Spirit and faith in Jesus Christ. And Christians in ourselves are somewhat at war because we have this old person that is dead and still needs to die, and we have this new self, which is the new creation that is alive and needs to to grow in the Spirit. And he says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing whatever things you want to do. Essentially, he means um, it's, it's pretty easy to tell. What side is happening here? They don't have a lot in common. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, meaning hating people, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Pause. Let that sink in. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Where did the death part come? If you're in Christ, you have crucified the flesh. The flesh which is the opposite of the spirit. It's dead. You died. Your flesh is dead. You've crucified it. And you've got to crucify it. Do you know that evangelists are are weird people sometimes? I'm not an evangelist. I'm not talking about myself. I'm trashing somebody else. Here, I'm putting down the green tape right there. No, I really appreciate evangelists. But they're, they're weird, and they're sometimes provocative. I re- was reading the biography of a guy named Jim Wilson, who's an evangelist. And there was this one lady who was ve- a very frustrated, angry Christian. And uh, in her frustration, he got her to read this passage and said, Okay, read the, fruit of the, the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. We just read these together. He said, according to this list, are you a Christian? Which one of these lists characterizes your life? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, or rivalries, fits of anger, jealousy, dissensions, divisions? He just asked the question. She says, the flesh one. He says, maybe your problem is that you're not a Christian. She was really upset. As we would be, right? The best defense is a good offense. Some people say sometimes. She was really upset for a while, and he let her be upset. Evangelists are really good at letting people be upset. I'm jealous sometimes. They're just like, oh, getting people upset is usually a, a step towards them getting saved. And so that's why evangelists love it so much, getting people upset. 
And then he saw her a few months later, and he asked her about how she was doing. And she, she was still angry, and she hadn't changed. But she says, you know, I'm still, I, still, er, I still think I'm a Christian. Or maybe I'm not. She was, she was less convinced. He's like, okay. Then he met her a few weeks later, and she was so happy. She came running down the driveway, and she said, I wasn't a Christian. But now I am. And her issue was that she, I guess, had grown up in the church or been a cultural Christian. You know, she knew what to do. She knew where, where she was going to be every Sunday morning. She knew she wasn't supposed to lie. But it hadn't gotten to her heart the truth of the gospel. The fact that God himself really does save sinners as a free gift. If you will believe in Jesus and receive him as Lord. And you don't have to work for salvation anymore after you believe. And she wasn't believing this. The big thing to believe. That God saves sinners by free grace. That he saves them by free grace. And he proves they're saved by giving them the Holy Spirit. And when the Spirit is in them and on them, that is the Father putting his seal of ownership. That's him signing the adoption paper that this is now my child. And now you get to live in the joy of being accepted by God as a free gift. And that whatever work to change you need to do, which, you know, we are called to grow to be more like Jesus and repent of our sin. Yeah, yeah. But that's all done in the security of Christ and in the grace of God and it's being totally saved. And she finally saw it. After all these years of not seeing it, and it totally transformed her life. Because someone loved her enough to just say, this is what the book says. Which one is your life? And uh, which one is your life this morning? Does your life look like the Holy Spirit? Or does your life look like the flesh? I have great news for you. If your life looks like the flesh... The answer is Jesus. The answer is give your life to Jesus. The one who loves you and died for you. Be crucified with him. Be joined with him. Be so united with him that his death is your death and his life is your life. Start eternal life today with the joy of knowing that now you cannot lose the only thing worth having, which is Jesus Christ and the love of God and the presence of the Holy Spirit. This is our gospel. In a time of division, this is our gospel. And this is how we're supposed to see each other. How many troubles in the church have there been when we add something to what it means to be a true Christian besides really believing in Jesus and having the Holy Spirit? One of the, the big tarnishes on Canadian history is the history of the residential schools, which was the history of the church. And, I, and I, who knows if they were actually believers, because that was a terrible time in Christian history, which is super liberal and super controlled by unbelief. And they said, yeah, we want you to become Christians, First Nations people, and civilized at the same time, they said, quote, unquote, and so they made becoming a Christian actually learning English and learning math and learning geography and forsaking your, your homelands and leaving your family. And they totally mixed it all together. They didn't just get the gospel of free grace and acceptance by God, by faith in Jesus Christ. 
and then working things out as brothers and sisters in the family. And guys, I'm here to tell you the reason we need to die is because if we don't die, we kill. Christians kill when we don't die. You know, I was talking about Rwanda before. You, you probably, we've, heard, we've talked about the genocides in Rwanda where about a million people died in three or four months, were killed. And not cleanly like we do it in, a, in doctor's offices, but just the mess of hack and slash and shoot in the streets. And one of the craziest things about that is that Rwanda on paper was the most Christian nation in the world at the time. 90% church attendance. And they still spilled out to the worst genocide in, in recent memory. And one of the sickest, saddest things to know is that the, 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 the killings were one of the denominationally most united things that's ever happened. Because Christians from all different church streams came together to do the killings. And I don't know all the ins and outs of the wise, and I don't know if anybody knows all the ins and outs of the wise, but I know that the people who were killing, they weren't dead. It's serious stuff, guys. I know we live in Steinbach where we think nothing ever happens, and praise God that nothing ever happens here. But if we think that we can't have a genocide in Canada, we are kidding ourselves. All you need is enough people to think the wrong things. Anywhere in the world. Just take some green tape and somebody up here telling you that those people hate those people or those people hate those people. And you need to defend yourself and you need to get what you deserve. The Apostle Paul takes his letter of love here, calling Christians to be dead so that they can be true servants of the Lord in the world. And he ends it by saying this. See with what large letters I'm writing you with my hand. He said that because um, he was mostly blind, most likely. And so when he did his signature big enough for himself to see it, it got pretty big. It is those who want to make a good show in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may be, not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised don't themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. As for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. And now, from now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Christ. Grace be to you all from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Is the world crucified to us?
and us to the world. That doesn't mean we stop caring. It's actually the beginning of Christian caring. Is the world crucified to us with all its pomp and all its pride and all its praise and all of its accolades? Is it all dead? Is it all worthless compared to serving Jesus? Is it all as nothing? The praise and the threats of the world, is it all as nothing compared to the cross of Jesus Christ, which starts the new creation by the power of the Holy Spirit? Is this the only thing that matters to us, is bringing down the kingdom of heaven into the world? Is this the only thing that matters to us, is being the new creation of God, in which circumcision or uncircumcision doesn't actually mean anything? It's humbling. It's pride-shaking. It's really humbling. We have to die. And keep dying. Amen? Are you encouraged yet? (laughs) One person is. She has to go home with me, so... Guys, I'm really encouraged, even though I I deeply despair in these days. I'm really encouraged because I think many Christians are tired of the half, half Christianity we do. Amen? Many people are tired of the feeling like the Holy Spirit comes to us like a garden hose drip. You know when you can't quite get the hose to stop dripping and it just comes out like this? And that's our Holy Spirit. We're tired of the cheap divisions. Anybody tired of the cheap divisions in the body of Christ? We don't even wait for the green tape anymore. There's a steady stream of YouTube videos telling us how to get divided. We're not led by the Holy Spirit. We're led by the most recent rant. Amen? We live in a culture where we kind of assume that whoever's angriest must be right. Because our culture is driven by accusation. It's this really weird thing. There's three different types of cultures in the world. Have you ever heard this before? Cultures of fear, cultures of shame, and cultures of uh, righteousness. Cultures of fear are places where, like, if you step out of line, you're probably going to get beaten up in the streets. That's not totally where we are now. Cultures of shame is where everything is about whether or not you're making your family look good or bad. Think South Korea. Cultures of righteousness are everything is about accusing and avoiding accusation. Everything we do, I don't want to be called racist. Everything we do, I don't want to be called or that person is that, oh, that person is that, oh, that person is that. This is how our culture works. This is how we get stuff done by accusation. And we've got to be dead to this. You do not build the kingdom by random accusation. And you do not build the kingdom by fear of accusation. You build the kingdom by faith in Jesus Christ and the fruit of the Spirit flowing through dead people. And I know how weird that sounds. But this is, we are a people of faith. It doesn't really matter if we know how to practically do it yet. The thing that matters is, do we believe the Word of God? Because God managed to take a handful of 
poor Jewish people and take their message to be the biggest religion of the world. Hello? This, ha- this happened. And they didn't, they didn't have money. They had the Spirit of God and truth and the risen Jesus as their Lord. And they conquered every single empire that they've ever been in. I am so afraid for China. Because they are doing everything that in history begs for God to make them a Christian nation. Everything in history where you've seen an empire suddenly become Christianized, they are doing. And I wouldn't be surprised if in our lifetime, China becomes the Christian capital of the world. Because Jesus gets provoked by human pride. And he says, you think you can shut me down? Just wait until there is a gigantic church in Tiananmen Square. And one of the reasons I think this can happen is because so many of our brothers and sisters there are already dead to their life. To be alive to God. Amen? So I, 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 I am equal measures encouraged and despairing. I'm encouraged for the church because I think we are at a great time to get into our Bible and realize it says things we never saw it said. I think part of that, though, is letting God do his work of crucifixion in our lives. Amen? We should worship. Can we worship, Greg? Jesus, we need a miracle of miracles. Uh, We're probably in one of the... uh, Maybe it's just me. I feel like I find it so easy to be alive and self-focused in this, in, the, in this culture, this time, with my history and my mind and my heart. And God, I, I experience the powerlessness in the kingdom of these facts. But Jesus, I just yield my soul to you afresh. The truth is, is that I died with you on a cross outside of Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. And now I only live by the resurrection power of God, the same strength from the Father that makes you alive forever is at work within me and in work, at work in every single believer in this room. Christian, are you a believer? Then you did die with Jesus 2,000 years ago on a cross outside of Jerusalem. And all of your sin was buried in the tomb. And you came out with him in resurrection life without your old man, without your old self. And now we live by the power of Jesus Christ who loved us and gave himself for us. And now let's not cheapen the grace of Jesus by not embracing every person who is one with Christ. And by not choosing the fruit of the Spirit over the works of the flesh. 
and by loving life in this world more than life in Christ. Father, would you fulfill this prayer? We need it. All my hope is in you, Jesus. And all God's people said,